Today on Know the Truth, a new lesson from Philip DeCourcy. Faithfulness to the text is that which marks the faithful pastor. In the light of Paul's words to Timothy here, the teaching elder is not to be known for novel ideas. He's not to be a prisoner of all things contemporary. I'm not interested in a new church or a new kind of Christian. I'm to remind the church of what it has always been and ought to be. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today Philip DeCourcy begins a straight-to-the-point message entitled Straight Talk, where we're learning how to cut the fluff and stay true to Scripture. It's from our current series titled Without Apology. Remember, you can always revisit your favorite messages from this series when you visit our website at ktt.org. You can also listen to full sermons on the KTT app. Just search your app store for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. All right, right now, let's join Philip for today's message. A few weeks back, I enjoyed a day with my friend and mentor, Dr. John MacArthur. We enjoyed several hours on a golf course in Valencia, and then afterward, I got to interview him at the offices of Grace to You, and I got to interview him for our own radio ministry. And during that day, I asked him, you know, John, you're now 77. What continues to drive you? What continues to define you? You're the pastor of a large church. You're the host of a national radio ministry. You're the president of a liberal arts university and a seminary. 77, what's driving you? What's defining you? And here's what John MacArthur said to me that day. He said two things, have and do. Here are the two things, the fear of God and the danger of error. That's what drives and defines John MacArthur, the fear of God and the danger of error. And I think what he is saying by that is that his life is marked by a desire to keep a big and glorious view of God and not to allow that biblical revelation of God to be diminished by false teachers and false teaching. That's what he desires for himself, a big view of God and a view of God that's not indeed in any way sullied or corrupted by error. And what he desires for himself, he desires for his people, his radio listeners, and the students of both the Master's University and the Master's Seminary. And in that answer, my friend, John MacArthur reminds you and me that just as a doctor fears disease, and just as a police officer fears criminality, and a judge fears injustice, so the minister of the gospel fears error, false teaching, false doctrine. Look, the Christian life is built upon and constructed around the truth about God manifest in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we find in the biblical revelation of the 66 books of the Bible. And you and I should be concerned that anything that diminishes that truth, anything that diminishes or distorts that vision, we must oppose and we must fight. You and I need to realize as a body of man that theological error is a clear and present danger to all of us. 
It's a danger to every Christian in every church in every age. And that's why I want to come to the passage before us, because Paul acknowledges the danger of error and the need to preserve and pursue and protect truth. Error has been and always will be a threat to every Christian and every church in every age. That's true if you're serious about the person, nature, and work of Satan, because he's a liar, according to John 8, 44. He's always seeking to subvert the truth, to cloud a clear vision of God, to undermine confidence in the Word of God, to oppose the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to do that, he will even turn himself into an angel of light. Deception is his game. Error is a danger. If you take the person, nature, and work of Satan seriously, error is a danger if you take the warnings of Christ and his apostles seriously. Because in Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said that false Christs will arise. False prophets will come and be warned. Be on the alert. Peter repeats that in 2 Peter 2 verses 1 to 2, where he warns about those who will rise up from within the church and deny the very Lord that bought them. You and I need to be serious about error. John MacArthur's right. We need to be concerned about the danger of error. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you'll see that it's polemical in nature. Almost every letter written by an apostle, whether Peter, James, John, or Paul, addresses some disorder in the church or some theological compromise that's creeping into the body life of that church. The New Testament apostles are always correcting the church doctrinally. So the work of Satan, the warnings of Christ and his apostles, the polemical nature of the New Testament would remind us of the clear and present danger of error that every Christian in every church in every age ought to be aware of. And that's not to mention Christian cults. I mean, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, in Acts 20, verse 29 to 31, after he has left, wolves in sheep's clothing will come in and ravish the church. Men will arise from within the church to draw disciples after themselves. Jude 3 and 4 tells us about those who creep into the church unawares. Mormonism, Christian science, Jehovah Witnesses, the name but a few, are Christian cults, spin-offs, false representations of Christianity in some form or measure. Guys, it's potent, it's perennial, the subversion of truth. And therefore, as we come to this passage, Paul is giving a straight talk about truth and error. Here in verses 14 through 19 of the second chapter of Second Timothy. Now, this is a theme he has talked about in his first letter. In fact, he talks about Hymenius in the first letter and how they had to discipline him because of his heresy. He talks about doctrines of demons in chapter 4 of the first letter. He talks about fighting the good fight of faith in chapter 6 of the first letter. And so he's coming back to this theme. 
And if you get behind the second letter and the first letter, you have what I referred to a moment ago, his words to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20, because this is written to Timothy in the city of Ephesus where he's pastoring. And when Paul left that church, he warned them about the theological wolves in sheep's clothing who would enter the church and wreak havoc among the body. So let's come and look at this straight talk on the danger of error and the need to cut the text of Scripture straight. Let's dig a little deeper. And there's three things I want us to see. You guard the truth by one, staring the saints, two, studying the Scriptures, three, shunning the subversives. So let's look at our text, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. The first thing we can do is Paul gives us this straight talk on the danger of error and the promotion of truth is to stir the saints, to enlist the wider church by reminding them of the truth itself. And secondly, solemnly charging them to shun and avoid ruinous debates with men who oppose the truth. Now, there's a solemnity to this, guys. This is serious business, because you'll notice that as Paul addresses Timothy and he calls him to remind them, he does it with this, invoke God as a witness. Charge them before the Lord. This is something he actually laid before Timothy in calling him to preach the word in chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He's laying it on. This is serious stuff. There's to be no trifling when it comes to truth and error. Now there's two things here as Timothy is called to stir the saints. Number one, he is to call them to remember, and he is to call them to reject. They're to remember the truth, and they're to reject those who oppose it. Let's look at what they are to remember. Notice how this verse begins, remind them of these things. Present tense imperative. This is the dominant duty of Timothy. This is the bulk of his ministry. You say, what is it then? What's the bulk of his ministry? And by implication, this would be a pattern from every pastor, elder, and church leader. The bulk of Timothy's ministry is to inform the congregation and remind them of what they already know about the gospel, the person of Christ, and the glory of God in the gospel. This is something he's to keep on doing. Remind them continually of these things. What are these things? Well, you could argue in the widest understanding of that, all the instruction that has gone on before, or even the book itself, the letter itself, what has already been written and what is to come. If you were to narrow it down, which I think is probably more likely, we're dealing with what has previously been taught in chapter 2. The importance of leadership development, the need for to compete and contend fully for the Lord in life like an athlete competes and like a soldier fights and like a farmer works. And also, he's to remind them of their commitment 
to the doctrine of Jesus' physical resurrection. In verse 8, you have this pivotal statement. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, and we saw the last time we were together how important the doctrine of the physical resurrection of Jesus is according to 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus isn't risen, our faith is futile. We're still in our sin. Our suffering has no hope attached to it, and we will not be raised in a future day. In fact, we are to be pitied because we are following a fantasy. So here we have this call by Paul to Timothy to spend time reinforcing what they already know and re-educating them on what they already been taught. And guys, I just think that's an interesting thought, that one of the primary ministers of a New Testament pastor and a biblical expositor is to have a ministry of reminding to lay down the foundation and then go back over it. And it's surprising how often you'll find this theme of reminding the people of God of what they already know. There's nothing original in the teaching of a biblical pastor. He's teaching what has been taught by the apostles, and he's going back over that doctrine again and again. Listen to Acts 20 and verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one of you night and day with tears. Paul just reminded them again and again of the danger of false teachers. Similar language in Romans 15, verse 15, where we read these words, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. Listen to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. I just want to get this across. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. It's like, I've talked about this before. I'm talking about it again, but I'm not bored, and I hope you're not bored. Because my ministry as an apostle is to remind you of fundamental foundational truths. I'll give you one other example over in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, I believe it is. We read, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. See, this is the calling of the pastor. He's not called to be novel with the text. He's not called to be creative with the truth. He's not to be marked by originality. He's been marked by familiarity and faithfulness to the gospel, that which has already been given, the faith once delivered to the saints. In fact, we read it, didn't we, in chapter 1 of this letter, verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound doctrine. The word pattern there is an architectural term. It means the sketching out of the blueprint of a building or a structure. And Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to work within the lines of sound doctrine. Don't go outside the boundaries of what's biblical. Color between the lines that I have taught you. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you. And then what's Timothy to do? According to chapter 2 and verse 2, he's to pass on to others what he heard from Paul faithfully and fully. Faithfulness to the text is that which marks the faithful pastor. 
in the light of Paul's words to Timothy here, the teaching elder is not to be known for novel ideas. He's not to be a prisoner of all things contemporary. He ought to be heard quoting dead theologians and ancient writings. Remember when I was in this church early on, someone challenged me with that very thought. They said to me to my face, why do you quote all these dead guys? Well, because it's my job to remind you of that which the church has been taught for centuries. I'm not a prisoner to the contemporary. Plus, the dead guys are better than the living guys for the most part. That's what I said also, by the way. Now, we're not to be marked by originality, only in the sense that we want to be fresh in our presentation of old truths. In fact, I got this email, not that I was looking for it, sent to me by a ministry. Hatchery L.A., Spencer Burke. In it, he's commending the writings of Brian McLaren, who is at the forefront of the emergent movement, which was not healthy for the church. But I was struck by the way he introduced the books that he was offering. Listen to these words. Over the past 15 years, Brian McLaren has been the pillar of fire leading church innovators through the wilderness towards the promise of a new kind of church for a new kind of Christian. Does that appeal to you? It doesn't appeal to me. I'm not interested in a new church or a new kind of Christian. I'm to remind the church of what it has always been and ought to be. Scary stuff, but that's where we're at in the contemporary church. In fact, on the flight back from New Zealand, I've been reading the All Rhine Ministry by Spurgeon. These were messages Spurgeon gave to the students of the college he had established in London for preachers. Listen to these words. Many run after novelties, charmed with every new thing, learn to judge between truth and its counterfeits, and you will not be led astray. Others adhere to old teachings like limpets stick to the rock. And yet these may only be ancient errors. Wherefore, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. The use of the sieve and the winnowing fan is much to be commended. Even in his day, there were brothers running after novelties, charmed by every new thing. That ought not to be true of the faithful pastor. In fact, the faithful pastor is, according to chapter 1 and verse 14, a trustee of the gospel. And again, the quote Spurgeon regarding what a steward or a trustee is, in executing a trust, there is little scope for originality. We are bound to carry out the trust with literal exactness. If you're a trustee, it's not your job to monkey around with whatever you've been given to take care of. It's your job to fulfill the writings or the laws or the creed that governs that trust and to be faithful to it. So they are to remember. Secondly, they are to reject. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this because we'll come back to it in verse 16. But as Paul encourages Timothy to stir the saints, remind them, and encourage them to avoid discussions with those who oppose the truth. Paul not only calls them to remember, he calls them to reject. So since we're going to come back to this in verse 16, we're going to limit and curtail my remarks. But listen to this. Since truth is a settled matter, there is a faith, a body of truth once delivered to the saints, which must be faithfully delivered to each succeeding generation. Debate with those who profanely oppose it is unwise. 
counterproductive and dangerous. Now, I have read several commentaries this past week or two on this passage, and some believe that what Paul is talking about here is kind of Christians getting involved in secondary matters, kind of getting off onto the edges of theology and fighting over things Christians have disagreed on, maybe the nature of spiritual gifts, the role of women in the church, the timing of the rapture. I don't think that's what Paul is driving at here, because if you go back to 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 7, and 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5, similar language is used of false teachers. In fact, we'll do that just for a a moment. Go back to chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7 of the first letter. If you instruct their brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself to godliness. You go to chapter 6, verses 3 to 4. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, obsessed with disputes, and argument over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. This isn't Christians squabbling over secondary matters in doctrine. This is false teachers. And what are we to do, according to Paul, when it comes to false teachers who openly profane the gospel and oppose the glory of our glorious Lord Jesus? We are to avoid them. You're putting yourself in the way of peril. Now, I don't think this text is saying not to engage unsaved people or those who hold to a different ideology and philosophy in life. If there's an openness, if there's a context where maybe profitable conversation can take place. But when someone has a track record of profaning the gospel, Paul says don't engage them because it's unwise, it's counterproductive, and it's actually dangerous. You're listening to Know the Truth and the start of a three-part message titled Straight Talk. If you missed any of today's lesson or would like to hear another, we've made them easy to find and listen to at ktt.org or on the KTT app and podcast. Well, we just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of our faithful listeners. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to share the gospel with a world in need of truth so that believers can steer clear of dangerous teaching that twists the Word of God and access solid teaching that strengthens and properly equips for life storms. As a listener-supported program, your donations make this possible. As you support Know the Truth, your donations cover the many costs it takes to plan, produce, and distribute this Bible teaching program on the radio and the Internet. And this month, we'd like to invite you to partner with us by becoming a Truth Ambassador. These faithful supporters give a monthly automated gift to Know the Truth and receive some exclusive benefits in turn. You can learn more by calling 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. When you give, you'll receive Living by God's Promises. This book will help you deepen your Christian life by drawing from stellar Puritan treatises on divine promises from God. It features powerful revelations by Andrew Gray, Edward Lee, and William Spurstow, offering them in contemporary language for today's readers. It's a book you'll want to reread and share with others. 
Also, when you become a Truth Ambassador, you'll receive the brand new Know the Truth shirt as a practical reminder of your important role in this ministry. Again, call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. Now, before you go, be sure to link up with us on social media. You'll find us on most platforms when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us tomorrow for more straight talk from God's Word with Philip DeCourcy. That's Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.